You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Recording by Richard Kilmer, San Antonio, Texas. Astounding Stories, 19, July 1931. The Hands of Aten by H.G. Winter, Part 4. At that second, the sharp roar of a sudden explosion thundered through the temple, and the startled worshippers saw, slowly trickling from the right eye of Aten, a curling streamer of gray smoke. They did not know what had happened, and not until after a moment of fearful silence they saw the expression on Herhor's face change to great surprise, and saw his right hand relax and drop the dagger to the floor. Did they comprehend that he had been struck down? He clutched at his side, staggered, twisted round, and fell full length before the feet of the god whose representative he was. A frightened woman, close to the altar, saw a dark red stain on his robe, and a scream from her lips pierced out. He is dead, killed by Aten, whose eyes have looked death. Oh! She flung herself flat on the floor, and the others, back to the soldiers in the rear, did likewise. The priests clustered together in a scared group, staring fearfully at the right eye of the idol, from which a wisp of smoke was still trailing. None dared approach the outstretched figure of the high priest. Only Shabako dared look at him. The pharaoh clutched his sword tightly, muttering uneasily to himself. Not a sound came from the prostrate multitude. The slow echoes of the explosion died away. Again, the heavy silence fell. Then Shabako suddenly stared around and peered up at the stone image of the god. His ears had caught a sound. It was a panting and scuffling noise, as if men were fighting. It grew, even though muffled by apparently intervening rock. The beginning of a scream, cut short in a choke, added to its volume. The worshippers far back in the temple heard it and looked up. There was a muffled crash, then another crash of thundering noise, similar to the one that had come from the god's eye. But this time no smoke eddied from the eye. The explosion echoed through the temple and died away, while all the time Pharaoh Shibako stared at the idol. Slow comprehension broke through the bewilderment on his face. Suddenly he swung around and gripped the cowering form of the second-ranking priest who stood near him. From whence came those sounds, priest, he hissed, tell me. The frightened priest gibbered unintelligently, but there was a guilty look on his face which spurred Shibako on. He shook the man and roared the question again. Then the priest spoke. They came from the secret chamber, he stammered. A gasp rose from the crowd behind, but before they could master their astonishment, Shibako had whipped his sword from its sheath and sprung up the altar. "'Show me this chamber,' he cried. Up on the platform in the secret room, his eye glued to the hole that was the eye of Aten, Wes Craig had seen and heard everything that had transpired. He had been shocked to see the brave thing Taya had submitted to, rather than divulge where he was hidden, sacrificing herself so that he, a stranger, might have a few more minutes of life. It hurt. 
he had climbed down from the platform and glared around the lower floor of the secret room again, scanning shelves that were crowded with scores of curious objects, sacred relics, properties to aid in the manipulation of the idol, and other unidentifiable things, looking for a potential weapon. If the girl had to die, and he, it would be better to go out and meet his enemies, taking some of them with him in full fight. And then his heart leaped madly at the sight of something lying on one of the shelves. A stumpy black shape it was, with a short barrel of cold blue steel, and it looked as much out of place in that chamber as did the fur-clad man who stared half unbelievingly at it. It was a foreigner, as he was, in the gloomy corridors and chambers of the race that worshipped Aten. It, too, was American. It was a friend. His automatic. To Wes Craig, bewildered and tired, and sadly without hope, it almost seemed to be alive, smiling at him with its wicked brown mouth. He picked it up, and it bolstered his courage, his hope, and his energy enormously. At once he leaped to the closed entrance door and felt for the lever that opened it. But there he paused a moment to think. There was only the faintest chance of fighting free with Taya now. There were at least thirty men outside, and he had only seven bullets. And then he remembered where he was, and what the purpose of the secret room was. He remembered also a certain nervous expression on the high priest's face that he had just seen. He swung around and inspected the levers and crude wheels of wood that led to a handle up in the niche, shoulder-high to whoever might stand on the platform there. He had had experience with certain idols in Egypt. He remembered particularly one that had been worshipped in a degenerate age, its hands, its eyes. And then he stepped over the sprawling body of the still unconscious priest and climbed to the platform and his peephole again. As he pressed himself forward in the niche and applied his eye to the slit, he gently fingered the handle of the large lever right beside him. And he also measured the size of the slit in the right eye of the god. Craig had not minded shooting the murderous high priest Hehor, but he did not want to kill the under-priest in the secret room. He had had no choice in the matter. At the tensest moment in the dramatic scene in the temple, just when he had been hoping that the mysterious death he had sent to Hehor would frighten the worshippers away, he had heard a slight rustling sound behind him, and had turned just in time to see a hate-distorted face within feet of him, and a short curved knife upraised to strike him in the back. It was the priest whom he had left unconscious below, now revived and coming to kill him. He could have shot the man then and there, but he knew the thunder of his gun would betray his presence. So, using the weapon as a club, he had struck out at his attacker and tried to block the thrust of the knife. For a moment he was successful, but the knife proved the better weapon in the close rough-and-tumble scuffle that ensued, and... With its point at his very throat, Wes had been forced to shoot. He had killed the man instantly, but he felt no slightest relief. Like a tiger, even before the crashing echoes had died away in the little room, he sprang back to his peephole 
to see what the effect was outside, and just what he feared most was happening. The frightened priest in the temple was telling the suspicious Shabako about the hidden chamber, and even then was leading him to the secret entrance. The two passed the American's line of vision, and after a moment he heard them fumbling at the catch of the panel. He could shoot them both down easily, but there would still be a whole temple full of warriors and priests to be faced with only three bullets. Then, in a flash, came an inspiration. West swung around, leveled the automatic's muzzle at the hole in the idol's eye, sighted carefully, and squeezed the trigger. And as the explosion boomed through the vast chamber outside, he veered the gun in a different aim and fired again and again. The two huge oil lamps, embedded one in each side wall, splintered and crashed. Now for it, West Craig muttered. He sprang for the ladder, snatching the dagger of the dead priest as he passed, and half slid, half tumbled to the floor below. At once he was at the secret door, and grasping the lever that worked it, and pausing only to take a deep breath, he plunged out. He came into a scene of wildest confusion. Panic-stricken screams rang in his ears. The oil from the cracked lamps, transformed into splatters of flame, had splashed down from the walls and scattered fire over much of the floor. A tumult of shadows moiled through the flames as the crowd fought to get free. Shrieks and gasps and curses cut through the air. The worshippers were caught up in a mob panic caused more by their superstitious frenzy than by the understandable fire. The flames pierced fantastically into the blackness, throwing a vivid glow on the frantic faces of the people who struggled to get out of their reach. The altar was deserted, save for the girl who still lay on the hand of the idol. Wes Craig, a blur in the wavering shadows, darted to her side. His dagger sped through the cords that bound her, and he lifted her slight form down. For a moment she clung to him. "'I knew thou wouldst come, divine one,' she whispered. "'I knew.' He smiled for an answer, gripped her hand, and then swiftly led her along the least crowded wall of the temple towards the door, packed with a frantic, struggling crowd of soldiers, people, and priests." The deceptive shadows thrown by the flames were kind to them. For some time, no one in the whole crowd recognized the two. Everyone was reacting in blind panic, a fear to the mysterious thunders that had killed their high priest, splintered the lamps, and caused the resultant inferno of leaping fire. But discovery was inevitable, and at last one did see the fleeing pair, one who had kept his head and was looking for them. It was Shabako. He roared. The stranger escapes, and the girl. There, there, hold them. His imperative shout brought a measure of control to the soldiers, who were fighting to get through the doorway. They grouped uncertainly together, gripping their swords, and staring wildly around. They saw, in the ruddy light of the flames, a grim-faced man pressing into them, holding in one hand a stubby black object, and in the other, the arm of the sacrifice, Taya. West cursed, and, forgetting that the warriors understood no English, ordered them in that tongue to make way for him. For answer, 
one of them leaped out at him, his sword swinging up. Craig's face set. He leveled the automatic and fired. The bullet caught the man in the midst of his leap. He spun round. His sword clanked to the floor, and he fell. Wes fired again at the staring mob. Then again, but the last time only a sharp click answered his trigger finger. He flung the gun into the thick of the hesitating warriors, swept the dead soldier's sword off the floor, and pressed forward, intending to hack his way through. But he did not have to. The other warriors were only human. They had just seen uncanny instant death. They shrank back from the door. Some even ran back from the stranger, preferring the flames to the thunder death that he meted out. The door was cleared, and Craig pulled the girl through. Back to the left, he gasped. Across the bridge, quick, Shabako comes. Even as they ran, they heard the pharaoh's furious bawling as he struggled up to the door of the temple, which he had not been able to reach for the rolling tide of fear-stricken people around him. He was shouting, After them! After them! They crossed the bridge. Follow them, everyone. I will take the other way up and trap them. Hurry! He turned to the right, panting up the corridor, in the direction from which he had first approached the temple. And slowly, as they collected their dazed wits, the swarm of warriors and priests and common people followed the fleeing pair toward the bridge. Wes Craig was tired, but the shouting pursuit lent strength to his near-exhausted limbs. Spears snaked after Taya and him from the warriors close behind, but once across the dangerous bridge, he disregarded them long enough to hack its supports through and see it fade into the blackness beneath. Get across now, damn you, he yelled, and ran again after the girl's leading figure. All now depended on their speed in reaching the top of the extinct volcano, and of that speed he was none too confident. He had gone through two strength-snapping fights in the last hour. His nerves were ragged from the constant strain, and his breath came in racking sobs. He wished passionately he had a loaded gun, even his smashed vial of condrenaline. The fluid would have put marvelous new life into his weary limbs. Hurry, Taya, he gasped. We must beat them. Shabako goes some other way to head us off. If only we can get to my bird that flies in the air. Once again they stumbled up the difficult passage, fighting for speed with tired bodies, bodies which every twist and obstacle tired sorely. Without the girl, Wes could never have made it. She led him unerringly through the branching, gloomily lit corridors, up flights of rickety steps, her knowledge of several shortcuts aiding measurably the speed of their progress. Tired as he was, admiration for the mighty fire of courage that burned in Taya's frail figure and drove it forward when all physical strength was gone never left him, for she had been through as much as he, and even more. They did not know it then, but Pharaoh had managed good time on the other side. As they at last neared the cup of the crater, and passed the place where the two diverging main corridors, each slanting downwards, met, they heard Shabako's shouts and the rapid clatter of his feet on the rock floor. 
In a desperate sprint, they gained the flight of steps, stumbled up them, and came again into the glorious fresh cold air and the slanting rays of the setting sun. New life surged through Craig's body, but whereas he ran across the uneven cup of the crater with fresh speed, the girl seemed suddenly to tire. He had taken the lead. Now he went back, took her hand, and pulled her forward, puzzled by her sudden exhaustion. He did not have time to question her, however, for the rapid beat of footsteps grew quickly very loud, and with a shout, Shabako burst up into the open and caught sight of them. The two went across the lip and slid down the slope of the volcano with all the haste they could, Shabako only twenty yards behind, his sword waving aloft and his dark face lit with a savage hate. And he was gaining, gaining steadily, and Taya was tiring more and more, and was becoming almost a dead weight on Wes Craig's supporting arm. This was the last stretch. Over almost the same ground, the girl and her dead lover, Inaros, had covered twenty years before, and with the same pursuer behind. Again, by the grace of the potent Convenalin, Shabako and the girl were enacting the desperate chase of years before, the chase that had ended in death for Inaros. But there was a stricken look in Taya's eyes now. I am suddenly so tired, Divine One, she gasped. She seemed hardly able to walk. Craig could not understand. Snatching a glance backwards, he saw that the pharaoh, too, seemed to be strangely tiring, but gaining nevertheless. He was practically carrying the suddenly exhausted girl when they came to the cleft in the ice from which he had dug her the day before. There was no time to get across, for... Before they could climb the other side, Shabako would be on them. Wes gripped the handle of his blade. Here, the last fight would have to be made. Go down the cleft, out of the way, he told the girl rapidly. He did not have time to help her. He swung round, just in time to parry a slash of Shabako's sword with his own. Then Wes Craig stepped back and stared at his opponent, a peculiar look in his eyes. It might have been merely from the force of his first swipe, or he might have slipped, but Shabako staggered drunkenly and barely avoided falling. With an oath, he came erect and once more charged at the American. It was easy for West to avoid his thrust. It would have been childishly easy to drive his blade through the pharaoh's unguarded chest. But somehow Craig withheld his attack and only peered more closely at the other. He rubbed his hand across his eyes. What he was seeing was incredible. For Shabako's face was going a ghastly white, and as Wes watched, he groaned, tried to raise his sword arm for another blow, and could not. He staggered, legs askew, lurched crazily forward, stumbled, and at last pitched down on the ice near the cleft. Then his great body rolled over, his arms flung wide, and lay still and the face of Pharaoh Shabako stared unseeingly up at the darkening sky. Then, in a flash, understanding came to Wes Craig. Oh, God, he cried, the Kondrenalin. He had forgotten completely about the liquid he had infused into Shabako's veins, its potency, adequate to the tremendous task 
of revitalizing a long-dead heart had given out, hastened, no doubt, by the great physical exertions of the man, and made sudden by the return to the biting air of the ice-fields. The liquid was only for emergency use anyway, and supposed to serve for a period of but hours, after which the heart was intended to carry on alone. Shabako's heart had not been able to carry on any longer. Wes Craig was afraid to think, afraid almost to look, to see how Taya had stood the shock. Her sudden weariness became at once all too clear to him. Slowly he turned and looked down into the cleft. He saw her, a slender, quiet little figure, flat on the ice by the body of her slain lover. He leaped down the slippery bank and ran to her side, knelt there, and grasped her cold white hand. The girl's eyelids were closed, but when he touched her, they flickered, and a little sigh came from her pallid lips. Then her large black eyes opened and looked straight up into his, and when she saw him there, she smiled. It wrenched the man's heart. Taya, he cried, Taya. She nodded feebly, still smiling, and her lips moved. He bent close. She was whispering something. The words came to him through a great fear. Take me, take me, O Divine One, take me with thee to, to thy heaven. Canst thou not take Taya? With her last bit of quickly ebbing strength, she pressed his hand, then her fingers went limp in his and her arm dropped, and her eyelids gently closed. Wes's jaw was clenched tightly as he folded her hands across her slim body. If I, Pharaoh, had not made me drop the vial, he murmured softly, I would again bring thee to life, Taya, and take thee to my heaven. Though, with a sad smile, and relapsing into English, Times Square would not be quite the heaven you had pictured. He stood up, the irony of the thing gripped him, and brought a wry smile to his tight lips. The body of Aneros, her dead lover, lay at her side, and Shabako's still figure, was but feet away. Once again, they were all together in death. The Kundrenalin had pierced the black veil of their silent tryst and brought them back for a few fleeting hours. But even modern science could not stand long against the weight of twenty years. And science would not have another chance with their still bodies. They would quickly be found there by the pursuing Egyptians and would be gone already decaying, when he could get back with another vial. A glowing murmur of nearby voices brought the silent man back to the present. Over the cleft in the ice he saw a string of priests and warriors speeding towards him. He sighed. It was time to go. There was much he wanted to learn about these people and their strange civilization. But there was no chance for it now, perhaps on another trip later. He looked the last time on Taya, lying by her lover. Then he scrambled up the other bank and ran towards the hillock behind which a sleek black monoplane with an 800-horsepower motor awaited him. The thing that followed next was never forgotten by the people who worshipped Aten, the sun god. It went down in legends. It was repeated and repeated, and it grew in the telling. It was awful. It was magical. It was godlike. 
a great thunder sounded from behind the hillock of ice, a thunder that pulsed louder and louder until the people fell down in awe, hardly daring to look. When they did, they saw a gleaming black form that stood on queer shafts of wood come gliding with the speed of the wind from behind the hillock. It straightened out on a stretch of snow, bellowing with a loudness that hammered their eardrums into numbness, and sped lightly along till the queer shafts of wood left the surface and the sleek black object soared up into the air. Into the air! With frightened eyes they watched it wheel around and then come roaring towards them. They fell flat again and did not dare to look. The thunderous blast passed close over them, then dwindled and dwindled until they ventured timidly to look up again. They saw the shape ringed with sunset fire, hurtling through the air, soaring up and up and up till it died to a speck, till it disappeared into the face of the sun they worshipped as Aten. A warrior spoke. His tones were low and awed, but they all heard him. Truly, he whispered, he was a god. End of Section 6 End of The Hands of Aten by H. G. Winter